0: Welcome to Career Tools. Today's cast, simple behavioral communication clues. Today, we describe two simple communication behaviors to help determine roughly what someone's disk profile might be, and once you know that, what to do about it. Here we go. Okay, folks, sorry for the uh, the audio quality. I've gotten a couple comments about audio quality. Unfortunately, sometimes when we travel, as we are often doing for clients, if we're going to keep to uh, our schedules of creating podcasts, we... Which we've never missed, right? We, we have never missed. Right. Uh, well, actually, actually... One I, Christmas. One Christmas we did... We, we took a week off. We took a week off. But yeah. other than that, we've been... Um, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you well, at least once or twice, you had to record a podcast by yourself. That's right, um, yeah, So, So yeah. like, we're committed to doing this. So, again, right. we,
1: we, we actually
0: do like producing high-quality audio because we know it makes the listening experience a lot better. But occasionally… Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the business model of
1: giving away all the stuff you know for free tends to compound in a way. If you took zero to the infinity of the power, you right. get zero, right? So we're here I before can... a two-day gig with a client. Uh, we were asked by a client who's a big fan through the through the podcast to come and spend two days with the uh, top 20 managers and his company, and so
0: we're in a hotel together for so, a change. So there you go. So, okay, so enough. Enough. I guess uh, that's enough of an apology. So, so let's talk about what we're going to talk about, which is looking at you know, talking about communication styles, right? We get a lot of questions about disprofiles, profiles, particularly when we provide them to clients at conferences, right? And, and those of you who have taken the DIS behavioral profile before know why we get those questions, because it is yeah. incredible. It's amazingly accurate, and frankly, one of the things I love about it, it's not about personality, yeah, it's about behavior,
1: right? And, and in fact, I was going to say you mentioned conferences. We've just started giving everybody who comes to the management conferences a disk as well, and we weave that in a little bit. Not because we're terribly sold on disk uh, in isolation, but rather that we believe that the single most frequent thing that managers do is communicate. And communication is what the listener does. So that means you've got to understand where other people are coming from, and the way people tell you where they're coming from is how they behave. And by understanding how others behave, and having a way to approach other people—not a label, but a way to approach, a way to see, a way to hear other people—we're more effective. So, um, yeah, it really is accurate, and we love
0: it. Yeah, it's great. Now, the, the challenge that folks have with with this sometimes, unless they've been to one of our communication conferences, is that. And they say, look, okay, I I understand it. I I've listened to some of your podcasts about disk. I know how knowing somebody's disc profile could help me be a better communicator, since communication is what the listener does, right? But not everybody I meet, or not all the important people I know or need to influence, have taken the disc behavioral profile. So how do I use disk when I don't in fact have a disk profile of the person? Right. Yeah.
1: And yeah, I think I think when I think about disk, the thing I I notice from having done it so many times with so many people is the first thing that happens and it's a wonderful moment and it's a powerful aha for almost everybody is people go, wow, I answered 28 questions and this thing's just nailed me. I, I feel totally figured out. Right. Everybody, anybody who argues with, the, with the, their profile shows to someone else and then someone else goes, yep, yeah, that's you. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Although, as we've said before, don't tell your spouse because your spouse will say, see, I told you so. <laughs> right. But but here's the thing. That aha moment it, it gets into people's brains. The idea that DISC is about them. And, and to, to an extent, it's true, but the fact that the disk is about you doesn't reveal what the disc's power is. The power is it gives you a way to unlock others. Right, if you don't know someone's profile, they haven't taken it or they haven't shared it. It's still really not that difficult to d- begin to determine their prim- primary tendency enough to be able to reduce significantly the chances of miscommunication and conflict when you're communicating with them. Now, he- here's the thing: disc will not make you a fabulous communicator unless you use it for five or ten years. If it's a way that you change the way you communicate, and, and, and I've done it, and those of you who have been to the conference have seen me do it, and it works. Yeah, but well, that's not the problem, though. That's problem yeah. that's, that's not, the not, problem where people get in not trouble. seeking success. What we want to do is minimize failure. Exactly. Right? The problem is the average communication engagement with somebody has a pretty good chance of failing, right? Rather because of role power or lack of understanding or lack of communication and so on. So well, basically what we say is DISC gives you a way to think about the way, the way others behave. And we, at conferences, we actually tell them in an ECC, in three minutes, you're going to know enough about someone else's interaction with you to draw a conclusion and change your behavior and significantly reduce your chances for miscommunication. So to me, knowing that and being able to do it, learn it in one day and apply it in three minutes is huge. And so we thought we would just give a sense of some of the kinds of things we share at the conference This is not a sales pitch, but we we just want people to know this is something you can do without coming to the conference that will make you more effective almost immediately working with other people. So here are a couple of simple behaviors. Let's just agree. There are a couple of simple behaviors we can look for that'll help all of us communicate with other people, okay? And we only have four points today. should be a fairly quick cast. Uh, First, communication is just behavior. You've got to get that through your head. Communication is not the expression of personality. It's not rocket science. It's just words and behavior around it, and it's fairly straightforward, okay? Number two, we recommend you use the basics behind DISC, and the two things that DISC DISC asks is, uh, is a particular person assertive or reserved, relatively speaking? And the other question is, do they tend to lean toward people things, or do they tend to lean toward task things? Mike's watching me right now and seeing me lean to the left or the right, (laughs) or uh, the motioning toward up when I say assertive and down when I say reserve. For those of you who know disc, which are all behaviors, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So those are the two questions we ask, and it gives you. If you think about a a circle with four quadrants, the top half is assertive, the bottom half, bottom hemisphere is reserved. The right hemisphere is people, and the left hemisphere is task. And so the question we want to ask ourselves is: If if I could, if I could spread the field a little bit, if I could think about is a person more this or more that? What might I look for? And that's what this cast is about. Our point three is: If you want to decide whether or not somebody's assertive or reserved. All you need to do is pay attention to whether they interrupt you when you're talking or whether there's a pause after you're done talking. It's as simple as that. That's all you need to do. Do they interrupt me? Do they talk before I'm finished talking, or do they tend to pause? If they interrupt, they tend that person, that's one data point to help you sense they're a more assertive person, so they tend to lean toward the top hemisphere, which is DRI. If they tend to pause when they're talking to you, if they wait until you're done then they tend to be reserved, and then they tend to be more of an S or a C. And then the other question, our fourth point, is there's a distinction between people and task. And the question there is not interrupt or pause. The question is, do they smile or don't they? Right? If they smile, they tend to be people-based. And if they don't, they tend to be task-based. Now, it's not an either-or. It's not as if people walk up to you and are smiling constantly. You say, ha-ha. There's a people person, or or somebody simply is so taciturn they never smile, although there are people like that. But rather, it's a relative choice you make by paying attention to the amount of smiling or not smiling you see from the other person. And to some degree, this depends upon your own tendency, your own bias, which we'll talk about. Okay? So, those are the four points. Communication is just behavior. We want you to use the the underlying premises behind DISC, which is, is someone assertive or reserved, and do they tend to be people or task? And then we're going to give you a discriminator for assertiveness, interrupting or pausing, and we're going to give you a discriminator for people and task, which is smiling or not.
0: Excellent. So w- let's talk about the first point, communication is just behavior. And before we get into the, the core of that particular point, I just want to note that this is one of the things I like about DISC, as opposed to, for example... Myers-Briggs or something like that, which is that you you could. One could make an argument that, forget the disk profile, the number 7125 or anything like that, right? That that literally you could almost go direct from a set of observable behaviors to how you treat well, it. Yeah, you it's don't not,
1: have to use DISC. You don't have you to don't, use DISC. No, exactly. exactly
0: right. DISC is a tool that's scientific, that gives
1: us a great deal of scientific background and gives you incredible detail. But you're never, I mean, you and I never, ever use the final details of DISC, the 7711 that I have, for instance. I never recommend somebody study my profile to try to figure me out. We recommend, is this person a high D or I, or are they a high S or a high C? It's very high level, right? It's the first level of analysis. You don't even have to understand. D I S or C. You just have to understand are they more assertive than me or are they more reserved than me? And do they tend to talk about people or do they tend to talk
0: about work? That's as simple as that. As simple as that. Yeah. Right. You don't have to understand this. No. Just look at those two the two things. So, yeah. so yeah. now, not to say that understand that there's not some value in understanding disk a little bit a little bit more detail, but you can be eighty percent of the way there. Yeah. At least simply by paying attention and to And again, these that's really all that you need to be. That's one of the things I love about career tools and
1: manager tools is we don't, we're not trying to make everybody into a CEO. We're trying to avoid everyone getting fired. We're trying to make everybody a competent, uh, confident professional or a competent and competent manager, right? And if we can do that for every manager, for every professional, that's enormous, and there are too many people saying we all should aspire for the very, very top. No, not necessarily. Before we have a chance to aspire on the top, at the top, before we have a chance to build a ten thousand square foot house, let's make sure the foundation is solid. Right? Manager tools, career tools, all about foundational stuff, in my opinion. Yeah. So. Okay. So and, look,
0: and that is, so, and that is so different. This way of thinking about observing people's behavior and then communicating based upon those behaviors is so different than what most people go through. Most people go through this arduous task of they observe a bunch of behaviors, but then they try to figure out what it means and yeah, where yeah. it came from. and Yeah, the, genetics it, and personality yeah. and upbringing and ugh. And then yeah. they try to get to what and the all, all personality is, yeah. and then they try to be- match themselves to personality. Yeah. It's it's so many levels removed yeah. from the vast I mean, of behavior. I mean, I literally had a boss in the Army say,
1: you know, I really wonder what your relationship with your dad was like. <laughs> I'm like, what, sir? What are you talking about? Or I had to call him, sir, because you outranked me. Like, he, well, he's, you do this and this and this cool. and this. In my experience, I've seen well, like, people like that. I know I say, I, I know your history. Uh, I, mean, yeah. I know not every person
0: that I outranked you called, yeah. sir, but that's a
1: different story, yeah. not for the so, But But, I mean, it's like, Uh, Sir, do you have a psychology degree? No, it's just something I do in my spare time, thinking about other people's motivations. No offense, folks. If you're thinking about your people's motivations, you're wasting your time because you're not smart enough to figure it out. And their motivations will change. But what we found is behaviors don't change all that much. One of the light bulbs moment we've had from our use of the basic premises behind DISC in terms of communicating more effectively is how often we make the work of communication hard. What most of us do is, is we interact, right? We, we watch and listen to their behaviors. And we literally, like you said, we try to guess at personality. And it just, I mean, I literally, you see, if you were here, if you were like Mike, you'd see me with my head in my hands going, it's, it's so frustrating. <laughs> um, so look, everything that that's interesting about this is that all the analysis, all the psychology, psychologizing, it's all in the service of predicting future behavior. That's why people do this stuff. That's why people talk about it, why they think about it. In other words, they say, let's watch their behavior now. Let's interpret, let's guess, let's analyze, let's psychologize about what that means. Then let's use all that to figure out what they're going to do the next time we interact with them. There are a couple of problems with this. The first is as I said, we're not any good at it. You're not, folks, you're probably not a psychologist. Just because you've got a psychology degree, you're not a psychologist. You're not a psychiatrist, certainly, right? Most of us, anyway. Um, we don't really know what somebody's background is. We don't know what their motivations are, and you're guessing at it, right? The other problem is that this is completely unnecessary. Let's not bother trying to guess at the motivations and intent. And by the way, DIST does doesn't talk about that terribly much. It talks about behaviors. Let's not guess uh, at the intent of somebody's behavior in order to determine what their future behavior is, when the easiest way to predict future behavior is to assume that their present behavior will be repeated in the future. And here's, here's a great example. If you don't believe that statement to be true, folks, and I hope I don't sound like I'm on my hot horse because right now I'm on my hot horse, so I'm trying to disguise it. If you don't <laughs> believe that's true, let me tell you, the single most popular and prevalent effective interviewing tool today in major organizations i'm not saying it's the best i'm not saying it's the final and end-all and be-all but according to everything organizations know although i've read stuff saying oh behavioral interviewing is bad but the most common effective tool for evaluating your ability to handle a future job is behavioral interviewing and what is that? That is asking you about your past performance and then predicting based on asking whether or not you have engaged in the behaviors in the past that you will need to have in the future in order to do the job that we have in mind for
0: you. Right. So if uh, you wanted somebody who is a great, Project manager.
1: You'd ask You'd a look project for, you look for you look for
0: evidence that, yeah. that he or she has engaged in effective project management behaviors in the past, yeah. right? I yeah.
1: just read an article recently that says, oh, you know, that's your experience is overrated because you know there are people with a lot of experience, but they may not be any good. Look, nobody nobody's suggesting that when we interview somebody, the only thing we're going to look at is experience. The problem is thinking I really like this guy. He seems really sharp. What a great communicator. Oh, by the way, does he have any project management experience? No, he doesn't. Well, then, how can you predict how good a project manager he's going to be? Well, mm-hmm. I just think he's good. I'm going with my gut. No offense, but we can't afford to hire people in today's world based on somebody's gut. So we want somebody you like, and somebody's a good communicator. And oh, by the way, we want them to proven they've proven they've been a good project manager, right? Right. Um, so look, our recommendation, okay, regarding communication, are always about observing behavior, okay. We all make too much too often about all the subtleties that are out there, the hidden messages, the baggage associated with communication, right? And by the way, commun- you know, when you do projects at work, you don't go home and then use project software at home, right? You don't. So what do we do at work well, and at home? Some, we both communicate. Some of us. Yeah, some, <laughs> you do. some of you do. And that's why you're so effective and why you're the CEO. Yeah, right. That's why I work for you, right? Um, whereas... You go, you go to work and you communicate, you go home and you communicate. And people think, well, so it's the same. So I'm a good communicator at home, so I'm a good communicator at work, not necessarily. Or it's the same lessons, it's the same situations. In a way it is, but we take the wrong lessons away from it. So whether it's email behavior or face-to-face communication, we have specific recommendations for how to understand other people's tendencies And then, based on that, we make recommendations for how to change your behavior to increase the other person's comprehension of you and reduce your conflict. Notice what we said. We're going to want you to change your behavior. We're going to show you a simple analysis tool, something to look for when you talk to other people. And it's a little bit hard to talk to another person and think about how they're behaving, but you can do it, okay? Okay. But we're going to recommend you look, pay attention, analyze, and then change your behavior because if you're not willing to change your behavior, you can turn off this cast now because nothing that is going to happen in terms of you improving your skills happens without you changing your behavior. That's the nature of change, right? For instance, when it comes to email, we recommend looking at tendencies like how long or how short the email is, what words they use, what punctuation they use. Do they include attachments? For face-to-face communications at the conference, we teach techniques like verbal clues—what are they, what words do they use; vocal clues—how do they say those words—and then visual clues: their facial expressions, their body language, and so on. So we teach all this stuff because we, you are surrounded by a sea of communication behavior every
0: day, and if you'll just spend a little bit of time with it, you'll get good at it really fast. Good. So there's a lot of detail there that we cover. You know, it's a whole it's a whole day conference. It's again like the effective management conference. It's a two-day conference. We've we've really whittled down to one day, but it's a full one day Ask anybody who's been to one. But yeah, so we can't obviously cover that all today. So today let's talk a little bit about some disc basics and that's the whole assertive or reserved and people or task. Yes. So the, the disc
1: model simplifies our thinking about communication. It suggests the two simple discriminators we've already talked about to help characterize what we experience when we're communicating with other people. The first is whether somebody tends to be assertive or reserved behaviorally. And, and uh, what would the assertive be? They tend to talk fast. They tend to talk loud. They tend to talk faster or louder than other people. These, the, again, these are thought of as assertive behaviors. Um, for those of you who know DISC, those are the D's and I's of the world. But again, you don't need to know DISC to have this help you. Okay? Do they speak slower, more slowly than someone else? Do they speak less loudly than other people? That, oh, do, do they have pauses, right? That would be seen as tending toward a reservedness. Okay? S's and C's for those of you who know DISC. The second behavioral tendency is whether somebody tends to be people or task-focused. People-focused folks tend to talk more about themselves than about other people. We joked that high eyes, like me, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, are famous for saying, enough about me, what do you think about me? Um, right. So people-focused folks talk about themselves and other people, and they engage in behaviors that many of us would describe as friendly or warm. They touch other people. They ask how they're doing. They share stories. They sh- they use other people's names. They ask questions to engage the other person and then respond to the other person and tell a story that makes themselves and others look good. Okay. Task-focused people, on the other hand, tend to be more focused on tasks, on work. On They talk about processes and systems. Um, they talk about what they need to do rather than who they need to talk to. That's one of my favorites. Um, at a meeting, a task-focused person if they came out of a meeting and described it, they would say what got accomplished, what decisions were made. A people-focused person would say who was there and who said what to whom about someone else. And the answer wouldn't be the CEO. Yeah, yeah. Bob Jones. That's right, yeah. If a people person talked about somebody, they would talk about the person. They would say Bob or Terry or Jane. If a task-focused person were talking about it, they would say the role. They would say CEO or EVP. Yeah, the VP said X. Or yeah, that VP from HR said this or that. If. And, the, and, the, and the,
0: yeah, the people-focused person would go, well, what was his name? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know.
1: He's just a VP of HR. Yeah, that's exactly. all you need to know, right? Exactly. Yeah. And again, for those of you who know, the Ds and Cs are on the task side of the equation and Is and Ss are on the people side. Okay. Th- that's just some simple background, whether you're familiar with this or not. Um, to help you think about the behaviors of other people with whom you're interacting. If you'll think about a range of behaviors between assertive and reserved, and on a different axis, a, a perpendicular axis, a range of behaviors between people and task focuses, foci, if you will, it makes it easier to think about the thousands or really millions of behaviors thrown at every day. This is a basic template to categorize, to organize the behaviors that happen in front of you all day.
0: Right. Now, you mentioned a whole bunch of behaviors in there around Assertiveness, right? We right. Could, how fast they talk, all those yeah. kind of things. The problem is, we used to teach that. We, I know where you're going. You're going to say, "Well, there's 50 of them, right?" I just had 50 of them
1: in a the conversation, and people don't realize it. I think at one of our recent conferences, we had a group of two people. We had two people counting behaviors in three minutes, and they came up with over 130 okay. folks. If you don't think there's enough behaviors in two minutes at the conference, you'll see, you'll, you'll learn how to count 100, uh, 100 plus, which is enough to draw a good enough map to be pretty confident about what the behavior and therefore the conclusion you're going to draw which allows you then to change your own behavior back okay right so the point though is all these behaviors are happening all at once and i've tried to teach that i said you need to look for this and this and this and this and this and this and and people's eyes glaze over right right the problem is you can't give people that much they can't do it and that's okay the question is what can people handle what people can handle is a few simple discriminators that helps move people in one direction or the other and the first one is and when it comes to assertiveness is how quickly they talk or how slow do they talk after you talk? People notice that. In fact, people have an emotional response to people. A lot of people have an emotional response to being interrupted, right? So the question is, particularly you, if they're reserved. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like If I interrupt you, you don't care. I you don't can care. care less. Keep talking when I'm talking. I don't care as long I can, I can listen to you while I'm talking. I'm a really good talker, by the way. <laughs> exactly. And as long as we're talking about me, it's fine. I hate saying that. It's embarrassing. So, it's as simple as this. There's a simple way to assess whether somebody is more or less assertive in general, okay? I know you could argue, I don't know what the mean of assertiveness is. Don't worry about that. The simple question you want to ask is, do they interrupt you or do they tend to pause after you've spoken and before they begin talking? So, as you're talking with someone, a, a simple tool, pay attention to how quickly they talk after you've spoken. Do they start talking before you're done? Separate from your emotional response to being interrupted, or the fact that you know they had to be thinking of what they were going to say before they started talking, if they start talking before you're finished, then they were really not listening a long time before you were done. Separate your emotional response to their behavior from an analysis of their behavior. Are they interrupting you? Okay? Or do you notice that they wait
0: for you to finish before they talk? So if somebody starts talking, like the fraction of a second you've completed your sentence, have I interrupted you or have I paused? What do you mean a fraction of a second? So just a second ago, you said a sentence, right? Yeah. And you said the word talk. And literally within probably one twentieth of a second, I started talking. Is that, yeah. is that an interruption? Uh, uh, no, I would, say, I would say it's assertive, though. It's assertive. Yeah, because they're thinking about what they're going to say. There's not a
1: pause. The question is, interrupting or pause are two extremes, right? In the middle, if there is no pause, it's not a pause, but it would tend toward the assertive side because Mm. they're thinking about what they're going to say before that you're frightened. I would have had to, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And people do this all the time. And it's simple. Rather than getting upset at them, just know you can interrupt them more and it won't bother them. I don't know why people get their feelings hurt and they shut down. Well, sorry. The people who are assertive don't mean to hurt your feelings. In fact, they probably don't care about your feelings. They just talk fast. They don't consider it an affront. They don't consider you talking slowly necessarily an affront either. Okay. Now look, just notice, do they wait or do they tend to interrupt? And count up in the course of a conversation, how many times they interrupt or how many times they wait. If you get to more than five to 10 interruptions, they're an assertive person, generally speaking. It's one of the clues. It's not the only thing because all of us have assertiveness and reserved in us. All of us have people and task tendencies among us. We have all types of tendencies, but they're to a greater or lesser degree. And as you gather more and more data about someone, and and if if it's a coworker, you're going to have plenty of time over the course of a week to get all kinds of interactions with them. All you have to do is pay attention and count, and you're going to be able to count very, very quickly. Now, the first few times you do this, it's going to be a little harder than you thought. It's hard, as we teach people at the conference, it's hard to both be in a conversation and then analyze that conversation at the same time. And by the way, one of the things we recommend as a general rule is rather than always trying to do this when you're talking to somebody, do it when you're in a meeting with them and they're talking to somebody else. You can watch them interact with somebody else for five minutes and probably gather five or ten examples of interrupting or reserved. I mentioned this before, look, get over your emotional response to their tendency to be too slow or too fast. If you're naturally a fast talker or an interrupter, you may well get frustrated with the other person's slowness, okay? That may seem to you to be not on top of things or not quick or even not smart, okay? But look, Mike tends to be not an interrupter, but if you ever doubt that Mike's smart, you're mistaken, okay? On the opposite side of the scale, don't consider somebody rude just because they interrupt you, I mean, they might be, but let's not judge them, okay? (laughs) Because rudeness is a characterization that has emotional content. The fact that they interrupt is just a fact. That's all it is. And what we want to do is count facts. And behaviors are facts, okay? If you're naturally somebody who pauses, don't think of the other person who interrupts you as impolite or not listening or not respectful. Look, folks, these two sides of this example are the very kind of psychologizing mistakes we're trying to avoid by focusing on analyzing behavior rather than judging the intent or emotions behind them. Saying that somebody's not listening is a judgment. Saying somebody is impolite is a judgment. It's, it's, it's judgment, right? Judge not lest you be judged, right? Saying someone's not respectful is not behavior. It's a conclusion you've drawn. It's like saying, well, that kid didn't do well on that test, so he's stupid, well, the fact is, he got a low score on the test. It doesn't make him stupid, okay? And that's where a big problem with discrimination
0: happens. It's just not what people actually do; it's the labels we put on them that's such a problem, okay? So. so, okay, so, so, then what do we do with this information now that we have it? We've we've paid attention. We know whether they tend to interrupt or yeah. whether they tend to pause. So now, what do we do with that? Once we well, there's really two things. One is keep track of it make it a habit
1: to pay attention to it and look for data that will help you begin to develop a map of behaviors that give you clues about other people particularly if you know your disk profile or somebody else's, but again, you don't need to. Okay, But that's kind of longer term, right? Building a map of right. is this person an interrupter or not or whatever. But you can use this right away within two minutes of a conversation. This is it. I, I, I defy anybody to, to find lots of places or you know even a few places where they can in a few minutes learn a specific behavioral technique that someone else uses and then know how to address it in the course of two minutes of a conversation. Look, if somebody tends to interrupt you when they talk, and you're an interrupter yourself, in other words, it would be D&I talking to another D&I, for instance, folks, you can continue to interrupt that person, and you won't be hurting your interactions with them. Now, if somebody tends to interrupt you and you don't, you again could do so. You could interrupt them without any detraction from your conversation with them. They won't ding you because you interrupt them. If they're an interrupter, they're okay with you interrupting them.
0: okay? Okay, if they're an interrupter and you're not you could interrupt them more. Right. But to you, that might be, if you're not the interrupter, that may feel rude, so... Yeah. Actually, it doesn't feel rude. It feels different, and you're
1: judging yourself as being rude. Exactly. It doesn't feel rude, it feels different. And then you say different is bad because what I was doing before was good. I'm self-loathing at the moment, so I'm going to say
0: I'm right. rude. So even no. though you think so even though you're you're putting this characterization of rudeness on it, the fact is if you interrupt the other person more, They don't think it's they, rude. Well, I think it goes beyond that they may actually think they it's think better, better. better. Yeah, look,
1: it's actually advisable to move towards, if you're not an interrupter and you're talking to somebody who's interrupting, it's actually advisable for you to move towards more interrupting of them to reduce the differences in your communication tendencies and increase, sounds corny, to increase the harmony in the conversation. If you want to be more successful in your actions with interactions with this person, adopting some of their style, not mimicking, not mirroring, moving in their direction, which is what we talk about at the conference a lot, Will help you in your efforts to get your points across with them. Look, if you're different than somebody, if your natural tendency is different than them, and you want to be yourself and you want to let them be themselves, you are essentially endorsing a gap that probably your communication skills can't bridge. The height of respect is to say they're good. I'm good, what they do is okay, I'm not going to label it rude or stupid or slow, and I'm going to move in their direction. Particularly if they're a peer of yours, apparently the organization seems to think they have some redeeming qualities, right? So engage in more of the behaviors you see them engaging in, and an easy one, this is not the only one, but an easy one is interrupting.
0: Hmm. Well, So let's take the Ooh, opposite. Or pausing. So let's go the opposite way. Okay. Right? You're... You're an interrupter, and right. you're ta- you're speaking with somebody who is who pauses, tends to the positive, ref- who we would label as reflective or thoughtful or a thinker. I it's like I, I like yeah, <laughs> I is, like those, I are I are like those characterizations. But they are labels. Look, so. I got to
1: tell you something. One of the things I've learned with DISC and the whole idea of paying attention to people's behavior is behavior is believable and behavior is universal. Yes, we can have discussions about culture, but culture. Doesn't make that much difference when it comes to communication and and, and the behaviors around communication. It's not that people are different that causes discrimination, it's the judgment we put on top of the difference that causes discrimination. If you want to decrease discrimination, if you want to increase harmony, you have to be aware of other people's behaviors, and you have to be willing to understand it. And that means being willing to do it, even if it feels different from you. What's funny about this is we have a model for this. When in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? You know, there are certain culture, cu- there are certain customs, not culture, but customs that we ought to be on, ought to honor when we go to foreign countries. When people come to the U.S., when folks in, in the U.S. go to Brazil or, or to Russia or to China, It's just normal. And yet, for some reason, when it comes to our one-on-one interpersonal communications, well, you should just get along with my style and I'll just have to deal with your style. It doesn't make sense. So look, if you're talking to somebody who pauses, slow the heck down. It won't kill you to pause a little bit. Particularly, if you want to be effective with that person who doesn't want to be interrupted. If you want to be effective, as opposed to just dominating the conversation, before killing any chance you have of shared meaning, which is the whole point of communicating with somebody, right? Slow down. Take your time. We've shared it before in a podcast, the one breath rule, right? When that person is talking, finish going up in your breath or down in your breath before you talk. It will seem like forever to you. It will they will suddenly <laughs> it will, think absolutely. that you're the most professorially genius person they've ever met. So change your behavior and you'll get better results. Yeah. Okay. Even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Even especially if it's uncomfortable. (laughs) What have we said a thousand times? (laughs) Unless you're learning, when you're learning, you're uncomfortable, or when you're uncomfortable, you know you're learning. Yeah.
0: I just said. I just said that to. You I you you just, just poking <laughs> me with a stick man
1: I'll say it again you know our very good friend Karen Adams said recently I feel like I'm saying the same thing I feel like I'm repeating myself all the time classic CEO statement right over and over and over again repeat the message what's horseman's law about organizational communication say something seven times half your people will tell you you heard it once I'm going to say it again this is the single most powerful tool I've ever learned in my professional communication life and communication is the most frequent thing we all do in our Professional lives. This tool alone, understanding the differences between you and other people and how you behave, and changing your behavior to reduce the conflict and the tension, has been the single most important thing in making me an effective communicator in my life. You may choose to say I'm not an effective communicator. That's fine. That's your. That's uh,
0: somebody else's call. But compared to the way I used to be, I'm really effective. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> okay. So we talked about assertiveness, right? right Inter- whether right. they can interrupt room, yeah. or whether they in- they pause. So let's talk about the people tasking you, that other access Yeah, it's the same thing. The assertive and reserved axis
1: is actually vertical. There's top and bottom, right? Whereas the people task is horizontal and there's a left and a right. Left is task, right is people. So, again, those who tend to think about people tend to smile more than those who tend to think about tasks. Remember now, neither is right or wrong, just different people who are people persons interacting with the non-people persons. A good example is marketing, talking to IT. We've used (laughs) this example five million times, I think. You know, when marketing talks to IT, they think they're all dolts. They say these people aren't, they're not smart. They don't follow jokes. They don't, they don't tell stories. They don't, they, they, I, I think they're fairly cool. I don't trust them. Uh, they don't shake hands. They're not uh, communicative. They answer in vague and uncertain ways. And uh, they're not willing to engage. They're not willing to be collaborative, right? I mean, have you not heard that from somebody in marketing before talking about IT? Uh, once or twice. Yeah, okay, so what's the other side of the coin? What do the IT people say? Marketing people are a bunch of fluffheads, right? Do they ever get any work done? All they do is sit around and pat Joe in the back of oh, how great they are. They're always smiling, always telling some story. And I'm burning budget sitting here in this meeting. I can tell you exactly how many dollars per minute it cost me and my team to be in this meeting with these really important marketing people who do nothing but sit around and talk about their double, froppy, no whip, cream, skim, soy, latte thingy. Right. Um, You know, so, yeah. I'm waiting for the joke here because this is all true. true. (laughs) It's true. In all humor, there is truth, right? Look, when you're conversing with someone or, again, when you're watching them converse with somebody else, note how often they smile. Would you say, and you don't need to know anything more than this, you don't need an analytical framework. Would you say they smile easily or they don't smile very much? Now, look, believe it or not, you can actually count the smiles of other people, right? If you want to test this, compliment somebody during the course of a conversation with them. Some people smile when they say thank you and some people don't. If you're somebody who smiles a lot, you might be surprised at how unsmiling it will seem for someone else to not smile when you compliment them. You compliment them and you think, well, of course, they're going to smile. I, I feel good when people compliment me, so I smile. And, and so, therefore, you say, well, if they don't, com- if they don't smile, they must not feel comp- complimented. In fact, that's not true at all. They're just analyzing what you're saying and they may be asking why, they're, why you're saying it. They're just rude. That's they, yeah, all. They're just yeah. rude. Right? <laughs> so, if you're somebody who expects someone to smile and they don't, they're not being rude. They just don't tend to think of smiling as a high-frequency behavior smiling to them doesn't seem to be a thing that will be helpful. That's all it is. It's not that they're rude. It's not that they're scared. It's not that they're a loner. It just means they don't think of smiling as something they do a lot. If you're not somebody who smiles now, you might kind of chuckle at how much some people will light up when you compliment them. Okay, now, sorry they're not actually lighting up which just goes to show you even our vocabulary isn't behaviorally based right we we've created this entire vocabulary around describing behavior which is really not actually the behavior it's just it's analogies around the behavior you know he's a top guy he lights up a room yeah that's not really true <laughs> we hope it's not true right so the question is do they smile on so And then the question you asked earlier, what do you do? What do you do? Okay. If you notice somebody smiling more than you naturally do. Oh, God. You're going to tell me I've got to smile, right? Okay. There's a seven-step analytical process you need to go through, or you could just smile more. Okay? Yeah. It sounds simplistic. And you know what? We were doing this. Mankind was doing this stuff before there was digital technology, before there was silicone on a chip, before there was fire, before there was a wheel. Okay? Mankind communicated with one another. And smiled and, and established trust through basic communications tens of thousands of years ago. Okay? It's simplistic because communication is rooted in a large part hardwired into our brain. And, and frankly, we're all so busy with so many things. Some simple things to move forward are the way to start. Look, it's really simple in this way. If you remember why you're doing it, you're going to be more persuasive and effective in your communications with other people if you smile more to people who tend to smile
0: more than you do. You know what I'm going to do? Because I fall in this category. Yeah. I'm going to get a smile iPhone app. And when you talk to me and you smile, I'm just going to hold it up and you'll see a little smile. You'll see a little smile, yeah. That way you don't actually have to move your facial muscles and you can just pretend that your iPhone is smiling for you. It's, okay. it's a
1: brilliant solution. It's a technical solution. It's a technical I'm solution. I'm don't, don't, yeah.
0: So, okay, let's yeah. talk. So now you're, you're the, the smiling guy and you're talking yeah. to me, the non-smiling guy. What, what should you do to, to improve your communications with me? Smile less. Same thing, right? When I smile a
1: lot and you're not smiling, you see that behavior is different and you're not sure whether or not we're clicking, in fact, I would argue this. I'm, I'm going to use some labels here, but I think it's fairly true for many folks on the task side looking at the people side. The people on the task side look at the person who's smiling a lot over there on the right side, on the people side, and say, is he being truthful or is he being nice? Hmm. Is he being accurate or is he being friendly? And implying that there's a distinction, right? Why would you need to be friendly with me? If your data is correct, there's no friendliness. Friendliness doesn't enter into this decision. The decision is a decision. It's numbers, it's math, it's projections, it's it's resources. Right. I want to be persuaded on the data, not on the fact right. whether exactly. I like to or not, right? Yeah, in fact, there are people who, if, you know, salespeople think that all they need to do is be nice, and they meet some analytical person, and they keep trying to glad hand them. And the analytical person, it gets worse, the analytical person becomes more analytical and less friendly, and the salesperson's like, man, that guy was not nice. No, you just weren't sensitive that that person is not a smiler. You turned on the charm and thought you could blow them over, which is, in a way, was completely an arrogant... opposite, opposite of what it, they needed to do. Not only opposite, it's arrogant, yeah. right? Now, there's a label, and I apologize for that. Okay, so engaging in similar though not precisely the same, folks. You don't need to become smiling as much as the other guy. You don't need to become stone-faced, right? If you engage in similar behaviors as other people whom you're working with, that will increase your professional effectiveness by reducing the chances for conflict in your communications. It'll make it easier to communicate, and it's going that increases your ability to persuade other people, which is the purpose of communication to begin with. It's persuasion towards shared
0: meaning. It's as simple as that. It is. Interrupt or pause. Yep. Smile or don't smile. smile.
1: Yeah, it is. That's a way to start. And when you get good with that, come back and we'll have more. There you go. So again, wrapping up, communication is just behavior. Remember two ways to think about behavior, assertive versus reserved, people versus task. When it comes to assertiveness, look for whether or not they interrupt you or whether or not they pause. If they're an interrupter, you can interrupt them more and please do so. Don't stay at your same pace. Increase the pace of your speech. Uh, Or maybe they pause a lot. If they're a pauser and you're an interrupter, slow the heck down. I can speak from experience, slow the heck down. If they tend to smile, smile more if you're not a smiler. And if they don't tend to smile as much as you do, smile less. Folks, we make communication too hard. We seem to try to make it about intent or personality or clues or hints about what's really being said behind the scenes, quote unquote. But to be effective, the first rule is to reduce the chance for miscommunication knowing how somebody else communicates literally the words they say and how they say them their facial expressions and their vital language makes us more effective as communicators it's as simple as that and it starts with us paying attention to the people who, are, who we are talking with
0: that easy awesome, thanks my friend thanks partner All right. thanks for joining us everyone we'll see you all again next week in the meantime, have a great one, so long